0: If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. And while you're turning there, book publishers make substantial profits out of self-help books. You'll find bookstores and libraries full of different writers telling you how to fix yourself or be the best you or be the best somebody else. And we all, because we all seem to have these defects in our life, we turn to various authors thinking that they will give us the answer to what fixes us to make us the best us we can be. The greatest self-help book that has ever been written, is called the Bible. And that in it, we see who we were and who we are and who we're going to be. And we see in it who God is. That he was that way yesterday, today, and forever. So I would encourage you before you spend more money on self-help books, Study the word of God. And in this, we're going to see, if you will, some of that in these final words that the writer of Hebrews has for his audience. Who, when you read the commentaries that talk about whether he's writing to Jewish Christians or lost people, whatever, I always figure he's writing to me. Because what I see in it, I need to understand. And learn. And so in verse 20 of chapter 13, it says this as he's coming to a close now, not sometime in the future, not in the past, but now, the God of peace. God is a God of peace. He's not a God of peace like the world. For the world, peace is the cessation of hostilities, God's peace is reconciliation. One who were enemies are now friends, who are now co-partners. And so he says, the God, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. He brought up from the dead, Jesus, who is our great leader. He's the one who provides for us. He's the one who protects us. He's the one who causes us to lay down in green pastures and leads us besides quiet waters and restores our soul. He's the one who does these things. He's the one whose rod and his staff comforts us. He's that leader, that provider, that comforter, that protector. So, that one who God brought from the dead through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. So, all that is happening is because of what God has done through Jesus. So, even Jesus our Lord equip you. And every good thing to do your thing. Now, if you're reading the Bible, you notice I didn't quote it right. But in our culture, you would think that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose is for God to allow us to do our thing. But that's not what it says. So to equip you in every good thing to do your purpose. No. He didn't say to equip you to do your purpose. He said to do every good thing, to do his will. His will. That is your purpose. That is your thing. That is what we are to do as believers, is to do his will. Well, you might want to work against that, but I'm going to give you three reasons why you're supposed to do his will. Number one, he's God and you're not, even though you don't want to agree with that. He's God, you're not. Number two, he's your creator. And a creator has the right to determine the activity of the created. And number three, you are enslaved in sin and shame and he redeemed you. He bought you. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And therefore, the emphasis is no longer what I want to do, no longer is it what my purpose is. My purpose, my desire ought to be to do his will, which is working in us, that is which is pleasing in his sight. So even the desire to do his will comes from him to do his will there is nothing good of my own that i am able to do he places his spirit in me to want to do his will so it's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through jesus christ we no matter what we do is not pleasing if we don't do it through and in the name of jesus We are to do this because of who he is and what he's done. We do it in which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All too often, people want to steal the glory from God. Jesus is entitled to all glory. I give you as an example. We hear people say, as Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Then you'll hear people talk about, well, the authority that Jesus gave me. I never see Jesus giving me any authority. He says, I have authority. You do what I tell you. And so in here, we do these things and we give him glory because he deserves it. And so we do his will, which is pleasing in his sight. And doing his will is not all that complicated. All you have to do is read the scriptures. It'll tell you things like we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to treat our bodies with that is to be sanctified. We're supposed to to love one another as he's, he's loved us. We're to have faith in him. His will is through sprinkled throughout the scriptures. You don't have to read it long to discover what his will is. And yet, there are books written by theologians that are this thick that only need to be in a page to tell what his will is. But I urge you, brethren, bear with the word of exaltation for I have written to you briefly. Now, he son, I've written and I haven't written as much as i'd like to write but i want you to bear with me that i want you i've been trying to encourage you to be strong in the faith to grow in faith and to do what god has pleased you do and he goes i've only written to you briefly now for those of you who've been here we've been on the what we call the book of hebrews since mid-june that's nine months What he says, brief. we spent nine months reviewing. And again, to me, one of my favorite 60s and 70s group was Simon and Garfunkel. And they had a song called uh, Dangling Conversations. And in, in that song, there is a phrase that says, at no time do we place our markers to measure what we've lost. While I have spent nine months going through the book of Hebrews, there is so much we didn't cover. There's so much depth there. There's so much insight there that I hardly did it justice. And while, yes, he says briefly, and I say, yeah, we spent nine months, it still doesn't cover it all. That's why I always laugh internally when I hear somebody say, well, I read the Bible once then you probably got out of it what you read into it. The depth of the scriptures is such that if we were to go over it again and start the book of Hebrews next week, we would still get more out of it. But I'm going to leave that to you. So he says, bear with these words of exhortation. And then because he's concluding this, this letter, in verse 23, he says, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released with whom he, if he comes soon, I will see you. I want you to understand in this briefing, what this says is that what happens to one believer can affect other believers. Apparently, Timothy has been arrested, or if not arrested, at least he's been engaged in one ministry and now he's been released to do something else. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, if Timothy comes here, I can go there. And I can discuss further and teach you more about what I've written to you briefly. And it is to your benefit if I'm able to come. But I can't come until Timothy comes. Now, I I know this particularly well in, in, in my ministry. Because about 24 years ago, we had another pastor. And I was an associate pastor. And I was wondering what the heck God was doing with me here. I felt like an extra thumb. Then all of a sudden, I became the pastor, which affected me and certainly affected you. for good or bad or ugly or whatever. So notice, when one person moves to enough ministry, it affects the people in that ministry or other places. That pastor (laughs) went to do other things and affect other people. And because he went to other places and affect other people, I'm here affecting you or not affecting you. So notice that the body of Christ is never static. It moves according to who's there to minister. And then he, his the typical letters, he says, greet all of your leaders and all the saints. They say, Don't leave anybody out. Don't just greet the important people. Don't just Greet the best leaders and not the sub-leaders. Greet all the leaders and greet all the saints. Now, all the saints are not the ones who have been determined to be holy. Saints are the separated ones, the called out ones, which is you and me. He's saying greet everybody that's in the body. Those from Italy greet you. So apparently he wrote this from Italy because they're saying, Make sure you let them know that we care about them. So high for us. And then he says something that most people just read and pass by. A lot of times, Paul, for instance, would start his letter with this word. "says grace be with you all. Paul often would start his letters with grace and peace. And usually we just read that and go on because we're ready for the meat of the letter. But grace is so important. We tend to concentrate grace on salvation. And grace is necessary for salvation. For by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves that is a gift of God. We are saved because of that unmerited favor that God bestows on us. And as I've said before, and will continue to say, no one has ever received grace that deserved it. So when we look to one another and we say, well, maybe that person was better. No, no, none of us who have been saved ever deserve to be saved. It is because the love of God has been showed upon us. But grace is more than salvation. Unfortunately, our culture will use grace in a couple of different ways. Which is interesting. We only have one word for love. It's like or love, and we use love in, in inappropriate time. In a correct English translation, you cannot say you love your dog. But I know you love your dog. But that's not correct english you like your dog but we think but it, it needs to express more than just like he's my buddy he's my companion you know he's excited when he sees me and he's at the door when i get there we have one word for for love and then we do a whole bunch of, we talk about when we are at a meal we say grace Actually, I think that grace is probably better than we acknowledge because we think, oh, by saying grace, you mean we're praying. No, we're acknowledging that we are taking something that God has blessed us with. And we're acknowledging that He blessed us. So we say grace because we understand that it is unmerited favor. But we also use grace in the sense of, especially like in the sporting world, where you'll have a skater, an, uh, an ice skater. And we'll say that person has grace that, that they perform in such a way. And, and what we're saying there is, in that grace, they are doing something that is extremely difficult and making it look easy. Well, I think that's also appropriate here. He's saying, grace be with you. Because living the Christian life in a true sense, is not that easy without the input of the Spirit. We are to do that to make it look easy. And Paul acknowledges grace in more than just salvation. In first, I'm sorry, in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, he will talk about that God gave him many blessings about being able to, to see visions and things that will come and great wonders. And he's saying, so much so that I could have gotten really uppity, that I could have really had a big head and thought that I'm better than other people. So because of that, God gave me a thorn in my flesh to stop me from thinking more of myself than I ought to think about myself. So, in, in verse 7 of that, it says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from tor- exalting myself. So he understands what's going on. And concerning this, I implore. Notice he didn't say, I, I've made it. Some simple prayer request. He didn't come to FEC West and say, Hey, could you put it on the prayer uh, list that I would like this? He goes, I'm imploring God. I'm begging him. I'm beseeching him that he might. And he goes, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, this tells me Paul has a powerful prayer life. Because he's thinking three times is a lot. I've said the same uns- unspoken prayer request in our congregation for about two or three years. Paul says I prayed three times. and But I guess the reason I keep praying is because God hasn't told me no yet. He hasn't said yes, but he hasn't said no either. So if he tells me no, then I guess I'll stop praying. But again, I... I beseech the Lord three times that he might, that it might leave me. And then God answered. And he said to me, My grace. Notice he didn't say my power. He didn't say my spirit. He didn't say, Do what I tell you to do. He said, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Grace be to all. May that grace give you enough strength to live your life according to God's purposes, regardless of how difficult it is. Whether it's been a messenger of Satan or one of your own making, God says, my grace is sufficient for Paul, sufficient for me, be sufficient for you. Or power is perfected in me. When we live a life of grace, the world sees that when I am weak, he is strong. He gets the glory. You don't have to write a self-help book or a book, look how I achieved what I achieved. I would simply write God be the glory because he gave me grace to save me to give me strength and to give me power that when it seems difficult to live this life he gives me grace. that's why when you see other people And you think, well, they have their act together. No, no, they're just living under grace. Just live under grace. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul doesn't emphasize his strength. He emphasizes his weakness, which then shows the power of God, which then shows the glory of God. All too often, because the nature of who we are, we want to be significant and important. The last few uh, weeks, we've had, I've, I've had to preach a few funerals. And what I'm about to say has nothing to do with putting down those funerals. Because I know when I die, notice I didn't say if. The only reason I won't die is he comes before I do die. But when I die, I understand that I'll be laying somewhere, either in a little small box full of ashes or something. And I won't have any control over what people do. But as I stand here now, I'd rather not have a eulogy. Because what I did is insignificant. And quite frankly, 50 years, and I'm i am guessing really big, 50 years after I die, no one will remember me. Didn't write any great books. Didn't lead tens of thousands of people in the pews, although I'm praying our social ministry changes that. But even if all, and even if between now and I breathe my last, this place is packed with seven different services and I write 10 different books and whatever, I still don't want the eulogy. Probably the extent of what I want is Joseph Gary Davis was born July 27, 1952. He went to be with the Lord. Now let's praise the Lord. And I want God to get the glory because I am nothing because the only benefit I did and the only effect I had on you was because of him. So give him the glory, give him the praise and say, we are taking the opportunity of his memorial service to praise God one more time. Because his grace was sufficient for me. His grace saved me. His grace sustained me. And His grace gave me whatever testimony I have. And that testimony is what the judge and all God's people said.